Well, hey, good morning, church. It is good to see you here today. We are already having an amazing morning, and I can't wait to see what God's going to share and say and do in this very service together. Hey, if you are a guest with us here today, welcome to Palm Sunday. It's hard to believe that we're one week away from Easter, but God is already bringing that resurrection power uh, this weekend. And I I just, again, I'm excited to see how God's going to lead you and speak to you right here in this very moment. Today, uh, I've got a very good friend of mine. It's hard to believe, Clayton. Man, we have been friends for over two decades, going all the way back to Texas days. You come in and speak to our students there, and, and Clayton has just an amazing platform. God has really kind of led his life in a strong way, and, and in this last uh, several decades, he has been doing camp ministry, as, as Jason shared, uh, preaching to teenagers all around the country. And uh, on top of that, he's a full-time pastor uh, at New Spring Church, a church that's multiple campuses all across the whole state of South Carolina. And I don't know how he fits in opportunities like these to be able to travel to other churches, but I know this, we're a grateful church. Anytime he comes to share with us, it's always a rich time with God. And so today, as we prepare our hearts for Easter, uh, I'm excited because Clayton's going to be here to share with us. In addition to preaching and teaching, Clayton also a writer, and God is using him to extend his messages, uh, pressing them a little bit further into our lives through books. And uh, his last book that he wrote, Stronger, talked about some of the things that he walked through in, in, in experiencing loss here on earth, losing loved ones in his life. But his latest book, Overcome, he's got copies of that today. I think we're going to probably sell out in this hour, but he's got copies for you. Don't wait. At the end of the service, go out there, and if nothing more, just to encourage Clayton to keep doing what he's doing. But he'd love to sign your book and give you that that book to be a blessing to somebody else in their life uh, as he continues to be used by God in that way. Hey, Mount Eric, help me do this. Help me welcome Clayton King. Hey guys, can y'all, I, I just want to do something real quick. I just want you to notice, um, I should notice our heads. <laughs> because as, as we age, we get better. Isn't that right? Oh, your wife's not here, but your daughter is. Isn't that right? It, we get better as we age. And I just want you to know that, that the reason why Todd is so anointed as a pastor is because there's nothing between him and Jesus to stop that anointing. I love you. I do, man. I love you so much. I love this man. Speaking of, of bald, uh, being bald, <clears throat> I say this with, with great love and respect. Every time I come to Mount Ararat, I look around and I'm like, there are more shaved heads here than anywhere. Why are all, why are these, why are all these people looking like me? And then I remember Quantico. <laughs> so it's great to be among my bald-headed brothers. Let's keep it real. Do not give in. To the commercials, Bosley Hair Clinic for men is for sissies. Do not do that. Oh, man. I'm so thankful to be back at the Mount. I'm not a guest anymore. Kind of like a stray dog. Y'all have fed me so much, I feel like I belong now. I love coming to preach for you. I've got a sermon today that I uh, hope God will use. We saw 11 people pray to receive Christ in the previous hour, and we're believing that God's going to continue to do some great things. Um, I am from the great state of South Carolina. I live 20 miles from Clemson University. We did beat Alabama two years ago in the national championship. Um, I don't hate Alabama. I just hate how greedy they are when it comes to football. 
Um, I don't hate anybody, but I sure don't like them very much. But I, I, I love uh, college football. I love being a pastor. I love being an evangelist. On Tuesday of this week, so two days from now, I will celebrate 31 years in ministry. Preach my first sermon 31 years ago. I was two years old when I preached my first sermon. <laughs> you laughed a little too hard. Um, no, I was 14 years old when, when God uh, saved me and when God called me to preach. And I am so thankful that he has been faithful to me, um, even in my doubts and my fears and my mistakes and my sins. Um, I'm so thankful for Jesus. Hey, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew 14, and then we'll skip backwards to Matthew 11. You can turn to Matthew chapter 14 with me. We're in a series leading up to Easter uh, called The Way Back, and Pastor Todd has been preaching through the life and the ministry of a man named John the Baptist. This is a man that I have personally admired. When I get to heaven, I want to first meet Jesus then I want to meet Paul, then I want to meet Stephen, then I want to meet John the Baptist. Now, if you are from a Catholic, Methodist, Episcopalian, Pentecostal, or Charismatic background, do not be offended that John was a Baptist because that was not his denominational affiliation. Um, he, he did not, uh, he did not uh, go to a Baptist church he was called John the Baptist because he was known for baptizing people, but he was also known for some other things. And as we have looked at the life and the ministry of John the Baptist over the previous weeks, and even as Pastor Todd preached last week, we have been moving towards Easter, and today being Palm Sunday, we're going to look at John the Baptist. The title of this message is called The One. And ironically, in the scripture we're going to look at, John the Baptist asked a question to Jesus about being the one, and then Jesus says something about John the Baptist that he never said about anybody else, and we'll get there in just a few moments. But I want to draw your attention to this fact, that 2,000 years after John the Baptist lived and died, we're still talking about this guy. And we're still talking about this guy because of how he lived and because of how he died. And as Todd has already taught you uh, in this series, John is famous for making somebody else famous. A couple of weeks ago, uh, some of you know exactly what I'm going to talk about. I got the news through a text message from a friend of mine named Josh Gardner that Billy Graham had died. And uh, I have a very unique relationship with Billy Graham, I don't drop names very often, but I will show you something. This Bible means more to me than any earthly possession I have. In the front cover of my Bible, I taped a picture of Billy Graham. I've had this Bible for over 20 years, and I taped this picture in there about 15 years ago to remind me, <clears throat> before I step up on a stage, to keep it simple and to stay humble, because that's what Billy Graham did. And then I flip over one page, and right here is uh, a signature. In uh, 2006, my wife and I got to spend an entire afternoon with Billy Graham in his home. My wife was pregnant with our second son, Joseph, at the time. And I got to sit at Billy, literally sit at Billy Graham's feet. I asked him, may I sit on the floor at your feet? 
He said, you may. He said, that's weird, but you may. <laughs> and so I, I asked him every question I could think of. And as we were leaving, I said, would you sign my Bible? And he signed to Clayton, keep your knees down and your eyes on Jesus, Philippians 1.6, Billy Graham. When I found out that Billy Graham had died, I turned on the TV and the very first thing I heard someone say on one of the major networks is that Billy Graham, a man who for over 50 years has appeared on the most admired Americans list longer than anyone else, a man that has achieved something no human being has ever done or ever will do again, he personally met 14 living U.S. presidents. Billy Graham, this uh, broadcaster said, is famous for making somebody else famous. The reason why we all know the name Billy Graham is because he lived a life not for himself or for his own glory or for his own fame or for his own success. He lived his entire life to point people to Jesus. And the reason why Billy Graham is famous is because he made somebody else famous. I can simply say the reason we're still talking about John the Baptist is because John the Baptist was not obsessed with John the Baptist. John the Baptist was obsessed with Jesus. Ironically, Jesus was his second cousin. You can go back and read in the Gospels that when the Virgin Mary found out she was going to give birth to a baby, she wanted to go tell her cousin Elizabeth that she was pregnant. Elizabeth, married to Zechariah, could not conceive. The Bible is full of crazy conception stories. And uh, Mary walks into the house to tell Elizabeth, her older first cousin, I am pregnant. And Elizabeth, who has John the Baptist in her womb, Mary has Jesus in her womb. And the Gospels tell us that when Jesus entered the room in utero, that John the Baptist in utero leapt with joy at the presence of Jesus. There was something special about this kid from before he was born. I'm gonna put it to you this way. He had something on him. You watch LeBron James play basketball? Come on, my man. I like your enthusiasm. For Christmas this year, I bought my wife and my two boys tickets to see LeBron play, and we're going Wednesday night to watch him dunk on the Charlotte Hornets. Come on, man, are you jealous? Are you jealous? Is that, is that your dad right there? Uh, well, find your dad and tell him what you want for Christmas next year. Say, Clay, Clayton got us tickets to see LeBron. No, no, oh, he, no, no, I don't mean right now. But <laughs> you are the greatest kid I have ever met. What is your name, young man? Who? Tony? Joey. Joey, you're an anointed man of God. You got something on you. I'm going to tell you right now. Boldness and faith and obedience. He jumped up. He's like, Dad! <laughs> when you watch LeBron James play basketball, I don't care if you're a Kobe fan. I don't care if you're an MJ fan. You cannot deny LeBron got something on him. Right? I mean... There's just this, uh, this gift that God gives some people. And when they do what they were born to do, you just know this guy, this lady, they're special. From the womb, John the Baptist was born to call the people of God back to God. To not only call people back to God, but to point people to God in the flesh by saying of Jesus, 
He is the one. And every time they tried to make John the Messiah, and every time they asked him, are you the promised one? And every time they tried to lift him up and give him a bigger platform, John refused. Every time the religious leaders would come to John and say, are you the Messiah? He would specifically, deliberately, and clearly say, I am not the one, Jesus is the one. Do not follow me, follow him. He must increase, I must decrease. But I wanna fast forward to the end of John's life as we approach Easter next weekend. And I wanna show you how he met his death. And I want this to be a moment where God, I wanna pray right now. Holy Spirit, would you please, with love and clarity and grace, would you please take my words that I'm about to preach in the next 25 minutes, mute my words, give full volume to your word. And would you help it find every heart that needs to be saved and encouraged, lifted up, born again and rescued. And Satan, in the name of Jesus, the Lord rebuke you. I pray in faith right now, Holy Spirit, that not one person would leave this gathering lost. That every single person who needs to come back to God or who needs to give their life to Jesus, that they would do it in the next half hour. And may nothing stop you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 14, verse 1. We'll go down through verse 12. I'm going to read this to you, but I'm going to have to give you a little bit of context because this scripture is going to sound a little odd at first glance. At that time, verse 1, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus, and he said to his attendants, this is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Let me pause for a moment. Herod was the king of Israel, but none of the Jews believed he was a true king. He was a puppet king of the Romans. He was half Jew, half Gentile, and he was an egomaniac, he was a sexual pervert. He was a great builder. In two months, my wife and I are leading another trip to Israel, and you can still see the buildings and the aqueducts that Herod built. He was so consumed with his own ego that he would do anything to stay in power. And he began to hear about Jesus doing miracles, healing the sick, making blind people see, raising people from the dead. And he thought that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead and that Jesus was was actually John the Baptist. Now, there's a reason why Herod was afraid of that. And I'm going to read it to you right now. 
It says in verse three, now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered him a prophet. Now, you've already learned from Pastor Todd, a prophet is one that goes ahead, that speaks a true word. A prophet doesn't necessarily foretell the future. A prophet tells the truth. And John was a truth teller. John was nobody's boy. John had the courage to tell Herod, it is not right or lawful for you to sleep with your brother's wife. And it made him so angry and it made her so angry that they arrested John and they put him in prison. And Herod wanted to kill John because that's what you did in those days. You assassinated your political enemies. We do that today now. We just do it on Fox News, CNN, and NPR. Am I right? I don't care if you're a liberal Democrat or a conservative Republican or somewhere down the middle. In those days, they just killed their opponents and he put him in prison but instead of having him killed, he left him there until this moment, verse 6. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for them and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Now, I've made a commitment when I preach, I always stay rated PG but I want you to know that there's a lot going on here that we probably have to read between the lines to figure out. She danced in such a way that Herod was so pleased with her dance, it could have been a strip tease, it could have been very provocative, it most likely was, and in front of all of his guests, his big donors, his influencers, his people with platform and influence and money and wealth and fame, Herod, because he was such an egomaniac in love with himself, he decided, verse 8, prompted by her mother, she said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. Well, why did she ask for that? She asked for that because John was, um, because Herod was so pleased with the dance that to, to be bombastic and proud, he said, I'll give you anything you ask for right now. And so the mother tells her daughter, come here, sweetheart, whispers in her ear, tell King Herod, you want the head of John the Baptist on a platter right now. And the Bible says, in verse 9, the king was distressed, but because of his oaths and the dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted, and he had John beheaded in prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. And then John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. And then they went and they told Jesus. Why would, why would the Bible record this story? Some people will say 
You'll see this on uh, television. You'll hear critics of the Bible. You'll hear atheists say this in debates. We can't trust the Bible because the Bible was put together by people who were trying to pull a great big hoax on the human race. And I will always respond to that kind of attack on the scriptures with this one simple response. If the Bible was put together by a concerted effort of a group of people that wanted to pull a hoax on the human race, then why is the Bible filled with so many stories of failures? All of our great heroes in the Bible, except for Jesus, who was the only perfect person, all of our greatest heroes are broken, sinful, flawed people with all sorts of issues that they had to work with. The story of John the Baptist's beheading is to me proof that it really happened. And John the Baptist is beheaded because he had the audacity, the courage, and the conviction to speak out against corrupt power. We know that when you speak out against corrupt power, that when you try to hold corrupt power accountable, corrupt power has the ability to silence your voice. But they could not silence John. I imagine in that moment they come into the prison cell, they get ready to behead him. I can imagine John to his dying breath, screaming, repent, repent, repent. And then his life is over. What does this have to do with you and me? What does it have to do with the way back? What does it have to do with Palm Sunday moving into Easter weekend? It has everything to do with that and everything to do with you and everything to do with me because we can learn something from this. And here's what I want to say. When you know who you are, you know what to do. John knew who he was. John knew his identity. And we as Americans need to hear this, that when you know who you are, you know what to do. If you're a Christian, you need to hear that. When you know who you are, you know what to do. If you're not a Christian, you need to hear that. When you know who you are, you know what to do. I know who I am. I'm a child of God, but I'm also Shari's husband. That's why I do not ride alone in a car with a woman. I do not have coffee with a woman alone. I will not have a meal alone with a woman unless it's my wife or the woman is over 179 years old. <laughs> because I'm married to Shari. I am her husband. When you know who you are, you know what to do. Because I know that I'm Shari's husband, I also know that she likes a clean kitchen. So I am a pro at dishes. We went to, uh, we went to India. My wife and I have been to India 11 times together. And I have a friend who's in the military. He now works for Homeland. Uh, he was Army Special Forces. He's actually visited this church before. He's come to hear me preach here before. And because of his uh, military career and being in the Special Forces and some of the stories he told me, oh my goodness, um, I, this guy is, well, you just got to understand, uh, he got stories for days. We would go to India on these mission trips and we would be in a bus or a van and as soon as the door would open and we would all get out to go work in a slum or work in an orphanage or a Bible college or go into a village to give vaccines to people, he would be the first one out and he would get out and I kid you not, we, used to, we took pictures of him because he would get out and he would fold his arms in front of him and he would bow up like, come at me, bruh. 
come at me, bro. You mad, bro? Like he would bow up and he would just stick his chest out and make his shoulders real big. And when the last person walked away, he would follow us head on a swivel, left, right, ahead, got you six. And he's watching every move that anybody made. And when people would come that he didn't recognize and know, he would literally get between us and them. Hey, who are you? What are you doing here? What, what's your identity? Can I see some ID? I mean, he would, and we had to tell him, hey, these people are fine. They're not going to hurt us. He's like, hey, it's who I am. It's how I was trained. <laughs> it made us feel secure. It made us feel safe. He knew who he was. He's a soldier. He was born that way, and then he was trained that way. He knew who he was. That's why he acted the way he acted. You know what we end up doing so many times? We put our activity ahead of our identity. And we're, we try to define ourselves by what we do. We try to define who we are by what we do. It, we, even, we even do this in conversation. You meet somebody, so what's your name, Mike? So what do you do? It's just human nature. But God wants to reverse it. God wants to give you an identity, and then your activity flows out of your identity. See, it's, listen, it's more important to know who you're becoming than to know what you're doing. Who I'm becoming is more important than what I'm doing. John the Baptist knew who he was. And because he knew who he was, he was living his life for the applause of one person. He was living his life so that one day he would hear Jesus say, well done, you finished strong. John the Baptist was not worried about Twitter followers or Facebook friends or Instagram likes. He wasn't licking his finger and taking a, a survey of which way the wind was blowing to figure out where he stood on social issues. When the most powerful man in the entire country stepped out of line, John got in his face and said, that's wrong and you shouldn't be doing it. And when that man threw him in prison, all John had to do was say, I'm sorry, I take it back, but he wouldn't. Why? Because he knew who he was. And when you know who you are, you know what to do. And this is where the gospel becomes so powerful. The only way to change who you are is to give your life to Jesus. The only way for me to become a better man is to surrender myself to the best man that ever lived, to the one. The only way for you to truly become a better wife or a better mom, for you to truly become a better husband and a better dad, for you to be a better school teacher, a better business leader, to be a better soldier, to, to be a better administrator, to be a better student. The only way for any of us to really get better is to submit ourselves fully, completely, totally every single day to Jesus. And when you know who you are, a daughter of God, a child of God, a son of God, you'll know what to do. I very seldom have to pray about what to do anymore in my life. I'm 45, I've been following Jesus for 31 years. My problem is not knowing what to do, my problem is doing what I know I should do. Is that relating to anybody in here or are y'all all perfect? Okay, I thought I'd see a few more bald shaking heads out there, okay? So when you know who you are, you know what to do. I, I started saying this probably 15 years ago because in ministry I started noticing there's a pecking order and you've got, you know, and I'm not against this, but you've got famous pastors and celebrity pastors and there's denominational politics and look, church can be just as corrupt as any other business. You know why? Because there's people there. 
And I have people tell me all the time, I used to go to church, but I got so tired of the hypocrites. I had a guy tell me one time, um, I was inviting him to church. He goes, I don't come to church because it's full of hypocrites. I said, no, it's not. There's room for one more. (laughs) And you can sit with me on Sunday because I'm one too. But I, I, I started 15 years ago or so, I started saying this thing to myself. I'm gonna be God's man or I'm gonna be everybody's boy. John the Baptist was nobody's boy. He could not be intimidated. He could not be bought. God give us leaders, politicians, pastors, educators, coaches. God give us people who cannot be bought because they are so focused on their mission in life. John knew who he was in light of who Jesus was And he wasn't going to compromise. Well, let me back up and show you what happened right before John lost his life. Turn to Matthew chapter 11. And we'll read verses 2 through 11. I want to read to you what happened right before John lost his head and lost his life. It says in verse 2, when John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one, that's the title of the message, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Now to give you some context here, every Jewish man and woman was waiting on the Messiah, the promised one, the chosen one. Think, again, I bring up LeBron, but think LeBron when he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated as a 17-year-old kid, and he was named King James, the chosen one, the next Michael Jordan. Think Neo from The Matrix. Think Luke Skywalker, the Jedi who came to bring balance to the force. In all of those examples, there was an anticipation that someone was coming to make everything right. Every Jew was waiting on the one. John the Baptist winds up in prison and he sends a message to Jesus. Are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, Those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Now, if you look up, going to come back to scripture, look up here for a second. Jesus responds to John's question by giving six examples. This was significant. I'm not going to geek out too much here on the history But so many false messiahs had claimed to be the one that the religious leaders of the day, we call them the Pharisees, it was the Sanhedrin, Pharisees, Sadducees, and the priests and the rabbis. The religious leaders had put together a checklist, a protocol, so that if anyone came and said, I'm the Messiah, I'm the chosen one, they had at least six items on that checklist that that Messiah had to verify they had accomplished. And Jesus listed all six of them here. So he tells John's disciples, go back and tell my cousin, I am the one. And I've proven it by the miracles I've performed. The greatest of which was raising somebody from the dead. 
Jesus did that several times. He may be referencing Lazarus, who was raised from the dead in John's gospel, but he is definitely referencing the future reality that not only will this Messiah raise other people from the dead, but that one day he's gonna die and he himself will be raised from the dead. Now I wanna show you what Jesus says about John. It says in verse seven, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. Here's what he said. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces, like Herod. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one how, how ironic that Jesus calls John the one. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And verse 11, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So if Jesus is the greatest man that ever lived and Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest man that ever lived and John the Baptist, watch me, do not miss this. This is the most important part of the message. If Jesus, who is the son of God, says that John the Baptist is the greatest man that ever lived, then we had better figure out this truth. That John the Baptist had doubt. He doubted that Jesus was really the Messiah in the weakest point of his life. And here's my point. Doubt doesn't mean you don't believe. Doubt means you're human. And I hope this liberates some people right now. I hope this sets you free. I hope you feel the Wind beneath your wings. I hope you sing, I'm like a bird, I wanna fly away. I hope you get liberated in this moment right now because there are so many people right here, right now, you're a Christian and you think that because you have doubts, you're not a good Christian. There are other people within the sound of my voice, you're not a Christian, you've never given your life to Jesus and one of the reasons why you have never fully surrendered is because you have doubts about the Bible, you have doubts about God, you have doubts about Jesus, you have doubts about other religions and you think that as long as you you have doubt, you can't be a Christian, that you've got to have every single one of your questions answered before you begin to follow Christ. And I want to tell you that if the greatest man ever born had doubts and Jesus did not rebuke him or condemn him for his doubts, it's okay for you to have doubts. I'm stomping my foot for emphasis. Doubt doesn't disqualify. As a matter of fact, I'll say this. The people who have the strongest faith in Jesus are the ones who are honest with God about their doubts. One way I know I'm a Christian is that I do see things in Scripture I don't understand. And I see things in the world that don't make sense. And I have questions about God's justice. And I go to him and say, why? Why, God? I have doubts. I'll, hey, this week, let me, tell you what I, let me tell you what I've had doubts about this week. I've, I've actually asked this. There's a personal situation that I've been dealing with, 
not, not family related, something exterior to that, that I've been asking God, why don't you stop this? This is wrong. Why have you waited so long? Let me tell you something else I talked about this week with a friend, led me to this conversation. God, why is there still so much racism in America? And why can't we get it? And God, will you give us another leader? Will you give us another Martin Luther King? Will you give us somebody? Billy Graham is gone now. Will you give us a statesman or a, or a man or a woman, somebody that can step up and speak to us and help us as a country heal? By the way, time out. One of the, I, I pastor a very, very large church. I'm one of, of, of multiple pastors at a very large church. And as we as a big church in the deep south of South Carolina, where it's a lot different culturally, as we, a predominantly white church 10 years ago, decided we were gonna pursue multicultural ministry and multi-generational ministry, as we sat around a table to talk about how we were gonna do that and pursue it. By the way, our church now is about 30% African-American. And I'm thankful for that, but it's not where it needs to be. We talked about Mount Ararat as an example. Over and over again, I'd bring up this church. Over and over again, I'd say, I wish y'all could hop in the plane with me and fly. I don't have my own plane. I buy plane tickets. I want to make sure you understand that. I do not have my own plane. I'm not that guy. I mean, I wouldn't mind if somebody wanted to give me one, but I'm not asking. So I'm, I'm good with a barbecue sandwich. I don't need a plane. Just, you know. But, but I, I've questioned, God, why are our churches still so segregated? I have doubts. And I lay my head on my pillow at night like a little baby, like a small child, knowing that me and my heavenly father have a relationship that's real because I can talk to him about the stuff I don't understand. Like my little children used to ask me questions when they were four and five years old. Their, their most popular, famous, repeated question was why, why, why? Then it became how, how, how? Now it's why not, why not, why not? You can bring your doubts to Jesus and he will not rebuke you or condemn you for them. As a good loving God, he says, I love you. And there are some things you'll never understand. And there are some things you'll understand later. And there are some things you won't understand until you get to heaven. But the most important thing is not that we get all of our questions answered. The most important thing is that we have an intimate enough relationship with Jesus that we can ask our questions. So I believe that that's been a barrier, and I feel just a prophetic word right now. I believe that's been a barrier for some of you to become a Christian, that you think, I got to understand it all. No, you don't. I don't understand it all. Matter of fact, the greatest Christians, the oldest Christians in their 80s and 90s will tell you that the longer they follow Jesus, the less they understand, but the more they love him. I thought my life would get easier the longer I served Jesus. My life has not gotten easier. It's gotten more complex. It's gotten more complicated. It's gotten more difficult. But in the same moment that my life has risen in the levels of suffering and pain and, and remorse and um, disappointment, Jesus has gotten sweeter and sweeter and sweeter and more beautiful and I'm more intimate with him now than I've ever been and I don't hide anything from him and I'm not afraid to get buck wild mad sometimes and say, what the beep? Like, have I cussed at Jesus? Maybe in my head. I'm not gonna tell you. It ain't none of your business, okay? But in my moments of my greatest doubt and my greatest frustration as I've shook my fist in the face of Jesus and said, why have you not answered this prayer? He's never once vaporized me. 
struck me down with a bolt of lightning. As a matter of fact, the book that I wrote called Overcome, the reason I wrote it is because I lost nine family members in 12 years, buried my mom and dad 18 months apart, preached my dad's funeral on Father's Day, and then three years later, grieved their deaths. Three years. I went through the deepest, darkest depression I'd ever experienced in my life. And I would hear voices in my head lying to me. Can you imagine the voices that John heard in prison from the enemy, from the devil? Jesus has abandoned you. Jesus is not there for you. Jesus will not rescue you. If Jesus really loved you, he would come in and he would break you out of this prison. He would set you free. It'd be prison break 2.0. If Jesus really cared about you, he would come and give you what you want right now. And I would hear those voices in my head. It's, I had to figure out a way to overcome. I didn't write the book primarily for you. I wrote it primarily for me. Because I would hear voices lying to me. Hey, Clayton, your whole entire family is dead, except for your wife and your kids, but they're next. Hey, Clayton, you, you know you're adopted, and now that your mom and dad are dead, you're an orphan again. Nobody's ever going to love you. Hey, you know, Clayton, um, you're adopted, so you don't know what kind of predisposition you have towards certain diseases. You probably have cancer right now. You won't live to see 45. Your wife's gonna die, then your boys are gonna die, and you really will be all alone. And I remember one day, these thoughts, these lies are going through my head. Once they're all dead, you'll kill yourself because you'll be so depressed. I'm just being transparent with y'all. And I had to figure out, and I did, through the word of God, that when those doubts come, and those fears come, and those voices come, the only way to silence them is to go to Jesus and his word. Jesus and his word, Jesus and his word. Because the only way to shut up a lie is to replace it with the truth. Satan is such a punk, he will lie to you and give you permission to sin. He'll tell you it's okay to sin, do whatever you want to. It's a sleep around, look at porn, go flirt with an old girlfriend on Facebook, cheat on your taxes, get drunk, smoke a little weed, pop an extra pill, it's okay. And then the minute you sin, that same lying punk will get in your face and say, you are such a worthless human being, you're not a Christian, God hates you, you're terrible, you deserve to go to hell. And you know what, if you're a Christian, Satan cannot steal your eternal life, so he'll try to wreck your abundant life. And that's my final point. Following Jesus, if we learn anything from John, we learn this, following Jesus doesn't guarantee you an easy life, it guarantees eternal life. That's why I am not a fan of what they call the prosperity gospel. My prosperity is simply this, that no matter what I go through in this life, I'm living forever in another one. And that's where my reward is because my reward is Jesus. So if you give your life to Jesus today, you can begin a relationship with him, even with your doubt. But know this, if you give your life to Jesus and you begin to follow him, there is no guarantee that you're gonna get an A on all your tests, that every life's gonna turn green as you approach it. <laughs> there is no guarantee that you will get your own personal HOV lane on 95 into DC. <laughs> the only guarantee is that you get eternal life and it's eternal because Jesus is there.
That's what makes it so good. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to bow your heads in prayer. Close your eyes and open your hearts. Just close your eyes and open your hearts right now. And I want to go ahead and get down to business. I don't want to drag this out, and I certainly don't ever want to manipulate anybody to making a decision, but I want to invite you. While I've been preaching, I know what the Holy Spirit's been doing in some of your hearts. He's been talking to you. You've been feeling something stir inside your soul. And you don't necessarily believe that I'm telling you the truth. You just believe that something I'm saying is true. And here's what I want to invite you to do with your eyes closed, but your hearts open to Jesus. I want to invite you, whether you are a 78-year-old senior citizen or you're a 35-year-old man in the pinnacle of health and you're strong at the top of your career or maybe you're at the, you're at the very bottom emotionally, happily married or recently divorced, I don't care where you are, if the Spirit of God has been speaking to you while I've been preaching, he wants you to come to Jesus. And I'm pointing you to Jesus like John did. Even with your doubts, Jesus is the one. Even with your fears, Jesus is the one for you. Even with all the brokenness in your life, Jesus is the one who can put you back together. And it begins when you ask him to save you. Would you do that right now? If you need to give your life to Christ, if you have felt something stirring in your heart, pulling you towards Jesus while I've been preaching, give in to that impulse. That is the Holy Spirit pulling you to salvation. So if you want to give your life to Jesus and begin a relationship with him, you take your first step by asking him in. Just like someone knocking on the door of your house and you open the door and invite them in, Jesus is knocking on your heart right now. It's your responsibility and your choice to open the door and invite him inside. Pray this to him right where you sit. Jesus, I need you. I invite you into my life. Will you save me right now? Will you rescue me from my sin? I give you my past, my fears, my doubts, my mistakes. I give you control of my life, Jesus. I'm all yours now. I believe you are the one. Now with your eyes closed and your hearts open, I can feel the tangible presence of the Spirit of God in this room right now. And I wanna invite you to do something with nobody looking but me. If you just prayed that prayer to Jesus, no matter how young or old you are, I want you to do one simple thing. I want you right now, without any fear or hesitation, if you just prayed that prayer, I want you to raise your hand straight up above your head right now. Young and old, everybody that just prayed that prayer to Jesus right now, raise your hand up above your head. Just raise it up. I'm not gonna make you stand up. I'm not gonna make you do anything you don't wanna do. Raise your hand and get it up high enough so I can see you. I'm not gonna point you out. I'm not gonna do anything weird to you. Raise your hand online. You can do this too. If you just pray to receive Christ online, raise your hand straight up above your head and don't put it down until one of our prayer team members comes and puts a gift in your hand. Just keep your hand up, keep it up. We got people moving all around the room right now, all the way in the back. We got some folks in the back. Keep your hand up until one of our prayer team members comes and puts a gift in your hand. And once we put that gift in your hand, you can put your hand down. 
Keep it up until we get to you. Please, please don't put your hand down until someone comes and puts that gift in your hand. Just keep it up. We've got so many people that have responded it's taken a minute to get to them. Is there anybody else, I'm gonna ask you this, is there anybody else, you did pray to receive Christ and you didn't raise your hand? Can I ask you, be bold. Have courage right now. If you just prayed to receive Christ, raise your hand. Don't be ashamed, don't be scared, don't be embarrassed. Right over here to my right, guys. Right over here. Right down here in the middle, here's another one. Online, you can do this too. I don't care if you're in a coffee shop. Raise your hand at Starbucks. They might come and try to take your order. Say, no, I just gave my life to Jesus. That's okay. Just raise your hand straight up above your head. We wanna come and give you a gift to help you take your first step as a Christian. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? Just raise your hand until somebody gets to you. Right over here, right, right behind you, ma'am, right there. Right here. You guys look at me, right? not everybody, but just the, uh, the prayer team. Right here in the middle, this aisle right here. I wanna make sure everybody gets this gift because we wanna help you grow in your faith. We don't want you to just stop now. Now that you've met Jesus, this is when life really starts. Is there anybody else? Anybody else? Raise your hand if you just prayed that prayer to Jesus. And we wanna give you a simple gift to help you in your walk with Jesus. Praise God, there's another one right there. Good deal. All right, if everybody would just look at me for a second. I think it was about 30 people in this room that just prayed to receive Christ. Can we celebrate? And um, in just a minute, we're gonna, we're gonna sing a, a quick chorus of this song and then Jason's gonna come back out. Uh, we've got another gift that we wanna give you to help you in your walk with Jesus. He'll tell you about that. It's a free, uh, free resource that the church is providing for you. But look at me, hey, if you're one of the 30 people that just gave your life to Jesus, praise God, you are a brand new person now. Your sins are forgiven and you are a child of God. So if you would, go ahead and stand up on your feet. We're gonna celebrate with this chorus and then Jason's gonna come up and give you some instructions.